0: Welcome again to Sundays at Grace, the podcast ministry of Robinson Grace Church in Grand Haven, Michigan. I'm Pastor Bill, so glad you've joined us again uh, for this edition of the podcast. We're in this uh, sermon series, 2020 Vision, Seeing Your Life Through God's Eyes, and we're talking about the concept of Christ being formed in us more fully. And uh, last week, asked this really powerful question, what am I holding on to that is holding me back is there an emotion is there an attitude is there a behavior is there a belief is there a sin that i'm holding on to that's holding me back and we're going to unpack that further today last week was the necessity of letting go today is the joy of letting go again if you go to our website myrgc.com you can download handout notes for this message Um, as well as there's a link there you can click on and you could actually support the ministry Of Robinson Grace Church and help us continually to put out these podcasts. One of the big words in this message this week then is the word clarity and we're gonna look at this concept that Jesus gives us the needed clarity to let go of those things that are hindering our race and are preventing Christ from being formed in us for more fully. So we're talking about the joy of letting go and the clarity we find when we look to Jesus. Let's get right to the message. Thanks again for joining us for this edition of the podcast. I hope this message is a real blessing to you. Pastor Bill White from Paramount, California, recounts a fascinating and somewhat lengthy conversation he had with a man he hardly knew. In their encounter, they ended up talking about Jesus and whether this man would give his life to Christ. White said the man's response to him, and this is his exact quote, laid out humanity's resistance to the gospel with striking clarity. This is what the man said to White, and this is his exact quote. He said, my biggest problem is pride. I can't humble myself, and you want to know the reason I can't give up my pride? And then White said the man leaned into the conversation and paused for effect and then he said, because it's brought me so far. Now what was so fascinating about that statement or that admission to Pastor White was that he knew this man's history. He knew this man's personal story. White knew that this man's pride had brought him nothing but pain. Here is this man's story. He held on to his pride growing up in gangs while his dad died of an overdose and his mother grew up in the mafia. This man and his pride beat his wife regularly. He was unemployed, had just exited prison uh, prison and oh and by the way was on his way back to prison. That was what and where his pride had brought him. In fact, in a separate conversation with his wife, White learned this, that his young daughters were terrified of him, he was an alcoholic, and that she was planning to leave him. What struck and then stuck with White, though, was the moment of personal clarity he had when he realized that despite all of their differences, in some ways, they were very similar. White said that he struggled to lay down his pride because, and I quote him, it's brought me so far, or so I think. The truth, though, and the conclusion that White came to is that what their pride really brought both of them, and you and me as well, no doubt, is pain, isolation, and ruined relationships. Last week, we asked a very personal question, a very personal and probing question. What am I holding on to that is holding me back? You see, we all have these things that we value and we hold on to, and yet they prevent us from running an effective race for Christ and from Christ being formed in us more fully. And at the top of that list is, in fact, our pride. It is interesting, is it not, that this is also the very point of salvation. In fact, this man admitted as much that he ultimately could not come to faith in Christ. He could not surrender himself to Christ because of his pride. Salvation is totally by grace through faith and there is no works whatsoever on our part. That does mean, though, that we have to let go of our pride and our self-effort and our self-righteousness and all of our good works. Salvation is totally trusting in the work of Christ on the cross, admitting that we are not good enough on our own. We must let go. Of our pride. We are in week four of this series, 2020 Vision, Seeing Your Life Through God's Eyes. And the goal of this series, again, it's found in this verse tucked away in Galatians 4.19. It's Paul's prayer for the church at Galatia, and it's Paul's prayer for you and I today. My little children, writes Paul, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in. You. The general goal in this series is that Christ would be formed in us and formed in us more fully. More specifically, though, we are asking the question exactly where can Christ be formed in me more fully? Is there an area of my life or is there a specific trait in my life where Christ can be formed in me? more fully and where christ can become more visible is there an area in my relationships is there an area in my public life or in my private life even in my ministry life is there an area is there a trait as well that i can somehow begin to demonstrate more visibly Last week in unpacking this further, we asked very, four very personal questions designed to help us probe ourselves inwardly. We said is that we asked, is there an emotion or an experience we need to let go of? Is there an attitude or belief we need to let go of? Is there a habit or an addiction we need to let go of? Is there a specific sin? we need to let go of. And we looked at these questions as we talked about the necessity of letting go, asking that big question, is there something I'm holding on to that is holding me back? Now, I made this observation at the end of the message last week, and this is where we're going to start this morning. But But I said, we can ask that question, and we can even answer that question. We can even identify Something in our life we're holding on to that's holding us back. But here's the thing, answering these questions is not letting go. It is merely identifying what we need to let go of. Actually letting go is a separate and a deliberate decision. Letting go is an entirely different conversation with God. When we identify what we need to let go of, then we have the conversation, okay, how do I let go? Of this issue, of this emotion, of this attitude, of this behavior, of this belief, of this sin. Uh, I would say I wrestled with that this week. How about you? Have you found something you need to let go of so Christ can be foreign more fully in you? And then you have to struggle and wrestle with, okay, how do I really let this go? Let's talk about that today. Uh, let's go to our key verse today for these two messages. We're we're in this key verse last week. We'll be here again today and next week as well. And we're going to look at this verse and identify today's big idea. Now, this morning, I'm going to actually focus on the New King James Version translation, and I chose this translation. Uh, I, I like some of the wording of this translation. And there's a couple things in here that really we will end up emphasizing next week, not this morning, but we're gonna use this translation today and it will serve us well. Here's what Paul says, or I think it's Paul that wrote this. I don't, we don't know for sure who wrote Hebrews, but Hebrews chapter 12, verse one, therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God now note a couple of things in this verse as we get started this morning note first how Jesus ran his race and there was this joy that was waiting for him on the other side of the cross it is the same for you and me as we let go of those things that hold us back so we can run our race and so that christ can be formed in us more fully there is a joy we will come to know and discover a joy we will ex- a joy we will experience the joy of the abundant life of christ second note that it tells us to look to jesus and therein we find this morning's big ideas it's it's, it's like this Jesus gives us needed clarity to run the race and live the life of Christ. Hear that again. Jesus gives us needed clarity to run the race and live the life of Christ, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. And I want us to focus this morning on those three simple words looking unto Jesus to run a successful race and for Christ to be formed in us more fully. And to find the joy of letting go, we need to look to Jesus. We need to look to Jesus because of the clarity that he brings. Now, we're going to look and we're going to see four areas where Christ gives us clarity for the race we have been called to run. Four areas of clarity that will allow Christ to be formed in us more fully. Now, we're going to look at two this morning and then two next week. Because yesterday I took this message and I just had to, to chop it in half. There's no way we could have looked at all four of these today. What I want to do is go to a second parallel passage that will help us also unpack this idea. There is another powerful passage that deals with the idea of Christ being formed in us. So let's go to Philippians chapter 3. And this is a very powerful and personal passage as it is the testimony of the Apostle Paul. This is his life story. And so he's going to help us understand uh, some of the things we're going to look at today over there in Hebrews 12. We're going to kind of line them up here. Look with me in Philippians 3, starting in, in verse 8. Here's Paul's testimony. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Now let me stop here a second. Can you get the sense in these verses that Paul is letting go of his pride so that he can look to Christ and trust solely in Him? In fact, the eight verses that precede this in in the chapter, Paul speaks specifically about all of the things that used to define him, all of the notable things in him and in his flesh that made him a somebody in the world. And and specifically in verses 2 through 7, Paul speaks of all the self-righteousness that he had to let go of so that Christ could be formed in him. Paul lets go of his pride, but we read on, look at this in verse 12. He says, not that I have already uh, obtained this or, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Can you sense Paul letting go of not just his pride but also his past? All the emotions, all the experiences, all the attitudes, and even the sin that used to define him. He is looking squarely to Jesus in the future. As he looks to Jesus, he finds the clarity that we all need to run the race more successfully and so Christ can be formed in us more fully. Paul then And you can see this on the screen here. Paul then is striving for something that is presently being worked out in him and that will one day be a completed reality when he is resurrected away to heaven. Let's look at two areas today of of clarity from Jesus. And here is the first one. We see it here in verses 8. And nine, here's what he says. Indeed, I count everything as loss. This is the English Standard Version. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. And we start there when we see this, that Jesus brings clarity to living out our identity. So you get the sense here from Paul, it's not about his accomplishments. I mean, he was one of the most accomplished people of his day. And yet Paul says, it's not about my accomplishments, it is about the identity of Christ within It is Christ being lived out in me for all to see. So here's the thing. We look to Jesus because Christ is our life and Jesus shows us how the Christ life works. Now once again, to run the race successfully and for Christ to be formed in us more fully, it requires knowing who we are in Christ. So we look to Jesus and he gives us clarity into living out our identity in Christ. This is fascinating. In Philippians uh, 3 verse 1, going back to verse 1. Paul says something, sounds a lot like what we looked at two weeks ago with Peter. Paul says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Paul is going to repeat himself yet again in this third chapter. Paul is going to reemphasize some truths he has raised before. Paul is going to emphasize that it is Christ, not us. And yes, we need to be reminded of our identity in him. Now watch this though, because this is going to be a fascinating approach, and, 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 and it's something we have discussed many times before. This may sound familiar, but I want you to hear me out here, okay? Uh, here's the story, a slightly different angle on this this morning. Jesus is born as a baby, he is one, he's two, he's three, and he does not know that he is God. He does not know that he is the Son of God, the Messiah. So Jesus, like any other Hebrew boy, has to study the Scriptures and memorize the Torah. And at some point in studying the Scriptures and the Jewish writings, coupled with what his mother would have told him, he comes to realize who he is. He is not just another boy. He is, in fact, very special. He has, in fact, been set apart by the Father and given a very special mission. Now, at what age Jesus realizes this? What age he learns this, we don't know. The Bible, though, does make an interesting point of highlighting Jesus being in the temple at age 12. Do you remember the story? The original Home Alone story, right? Mom and Dad were at the temple for the Passover, and they head home, and then about a day's journey in there, where's Jesus? (laughs) And he's not with them, and they hustle back to the temple looking for Jesus. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Now, note Jesus is doing two things simultaneously here. He's both asking questions and learning. While at the same time, he's answering questions and amazing the people. With his wisdom and his knowledge. And then we get that interesting, well, well, well you know, the mom. mom. It's like, Jesus, what are you doing? And, and listen to his response. Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? Some translations, did you not know that I must be about my father's business? And what does this tell us? Well, this tells us that at this point, Jesus now knows who he is. He knows who the father is. He knows he is the son of man and also the son of God. And he is already about the father's work. Now it's true, he goes home submissively with his parents and does not begin earthly ministry until the age of 30. But this temple story is so fascinating. And it could be that this is about the time he discovers who he is because that's why he's at the temple asking these questions. It's like, I need to know more about who I am. I need to know more about my mission. Who is this Messiah? Because the Messiah is me. Now here's what I want us to all get. See, Jesus gives us clarity to living out our identities. So let's look at how it works for Jesus. Jesus is 100% God and he's 100% man. And we've talked many times, he set aside his God card, he set aside his divine privileges, his omniscience and omnipresence and, you know, that, that, that sort of thing, being all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present. He set those things aside so he could live life like you and I and experience life like you and I. So he doesn't know. He's the Messiah. He's learning this. He has learned this. And here's what's going on in Jesus. That as Jesus grew as a man, Christ was being formed in him. Now, you think about that statement. As Jesus grew as a man, Christ was being formed in him. Jesus is God, he is Christ, and yet Christ is being formed in him. In other words, we can say it like this. Who he is, is being formed in him. Now, you may be tempted to doubt me. You may be, I don't know, that sounds a little heretical. Christ is being formed in Jesus. What? Follow me here. Follow me here. Look at what the text just told us. Luke chapter 2, verse 52, and the last, the last verse of the passage we just read, and it says this, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Here's what it tells us. Jesus grew in the same four ways that you and I grow. He grew intellectually in wisdom. He grew physically in stature. He grew relationally in favor with man, and he grew spiritually in favor with God. You see, as Jesus grew as a man, Christ was formed in him. And this was true, and and get this, all the way to and through the cross. As Jesus went to the cross, the Bible says he learned obedience. Think about that. Jesus, the Son of God, God himself learned obedience. We just read he was submissive to his parents. He learned submissiveness, he learned humility, he learned obedience. Now the reality is Christ is all those things. He is humble, he is submissive, he is obedient. He's all those things in his relationship with the Father and the Holy Spirit. And so through it all, Christ was being formed in him. Think about this. The Bible tells us that Christ, the, the Lamb of God, was slain before the foundation of the world. Now, we look at that and think, well, no, Jesus died on the cross, right? Uh, well, about 30 A.D., about 2,000 years ago, Jesus died on the cross. And the Bible says, no, 6,000 plus years ago, before God created anything, the Lamb was slain before the foundation of the world. And you see what's going on there? Is that Christ, slain before the foundation of the world, is being formed in jesus as he goes to and through the cross and even jesus the resurrection and the life in a sense as he comes out of the grave christ the resurrected one is being formed in jesus who he is is being formed in him get that who he is is being formed in him now here's the question i have for you do you know who else that describes can you think of anybody else That describes who he is as being formed in him. Who does that describe? Is there anybody in the Bible that describes? Can you think of anybody? Is there anybody in this room that describes? You see, that's our reality. Who we are is being formed in us. Who we are is being formed in us. And we look to Jesus to get clarity on living out our identity, the identity of Christ. We ran across this fascinating verse in the last couple of weeks. And in Sunday school, we were talking about 2 Corinthians 5.21. I think my dad brought the question up and, and, and made, made that point. And it just was a fascinating discussion. It says this, For our sake he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Now think about that. So he's saying that here's Jesus who didn't know sin, who never sinned, went to the cross and took on our sin, and now he knows sin. And yet here's the reality is the flip side of that is also true. Here you and I are, and we know sin, do we not? We know sin pretty well. We struggle with sin every day. So we are the ones who know sin, and yet the reality is when we come to Christ, when we come to faith in Christ, you know what? We no longer know sin. How amazing is that? The legal term, the theological term is justification. It is just as if I never sinned. I have been justified just as if I had never sinned. In reality, we are like Adam and Eve, Before they sinned. Except we live in these broken down bodies in a fallen world. But that's our identity. Here's another one. Look at this. The Bible also says that we are sanctified. Sanctification is we are set apart as holy. At the moment of salvation, get this, we are completely sanctified. Sanctified. It is not that I am being sanctified as Christ is formed in me. No, I am completely sanctified and set apart so that Christ can be formed in me. Now, look at what it says in 1 Corinthians 6. Let me explain this. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 9. Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greed, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And so Paul says, Do you see here who's not getting into heaven? Who's not getting into heaven? Do, Do you see who's not getting to heaven there? Those people that are defined by their sin. Those people that are defined by their sin are not getting into heaven. You and I today in Christ, we're no longer defined by our sin. It is just as if I was never deceived or greedy or an idolater or an adulterer or a thief. It's just as if I was never those things. I'm not defined by my sin. He goes on in verse 11, And such were some of you. We used to be those things. We used to be defined by our sins. But he says, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of God. And so, just understand there, you were sanctified, past tense, it's a done deal. You have been sanctified, meaning you have been set apart, you have been declared holy and set apart, and what have you been been set apart for? You've been set apart so that Christ can be formed in you. Sanctified and justified so Christ can be formed in you. Now watch this, because we could also say this, that Jesus was Jesus also not sanctified. Fully sanctified, set apart. He came into the world perfectly uh, holy and sinless. The Son of God. And He was set apart to run His race all the way to and through the cross and out of that empty tomb. So it works like this. We are sanctified or set apart as a vessel for the formation of Christ. We have been set apart for Christ to be formed in us, just like Jesus was set apart by and for God. Now here's the thing. There are other verses that say we have been completely sanctified. We have been. It's a done deal. Now there are some verses that sound like it it says, well, we are being sanctified. Well, what does that mean when when it says we are being sanctified? Here's what it's saying. Yes, I have been entirely, completely, perfectly sanctified. My behaviors have not been sanctified, and so as we live our life and as Christ is formed in us, we are sanctifying our behaviors. We're setting apart our behaviors. We're setting apart our emotions and our attitudes and our beliefs and our behaviors. We're setting apart the thoughts we think and the words we speak and the actions we perform. We're setting those things apart as holy for the Lord. I have been set apart. All my behaviors have not been set apart. In fact, the reality is the Bible tells us that we will be sanctified. How's that work? Well, it's like Paul said earlier. One day I'm going to die. I'm going to resurrect and go to heaven and get a glorified body. And, And that there is this future sanctification when we are entirely perfect. When my body and my behavior is perfect to match my identity in Christ. So, first area, of, uh, first area of clarity today is the simple this this area here, um, where Jesus gives clarity to living out our identity. Let's go on to a second one. Jesus brings clarity to the burdens we carry. Look what it says here in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Again, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking unto Jesus. Now, I made this one of my closing observations last week that what we are setting or what we are letting go of is actually weighing us down. And trust me, it is. That emotion, that memory, that experience, that attitude, that behavior, that belief, that addiction, that sin, it is weighing you down. Reality check this morning. It's up there on the screen. That emotional, mental, spiritual burden I'm holding on to is literally weighing me down. So the Bible says you got to let go of it. The Bible says look to Jesus and find the clarity needed to let go of it. Now this was again the focus of last week's message. What am I holding on to that is holding me back? And I wonder this week, did you, were you able to answer that question? Have you identified something? I would just continually encourage you. Here's what it says in Philippians 3.13 again. Here's Paul wrestling with this very issue. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul had to specifically let go of the past to run the race that God had marked out for him. And Paul, listen, Paul never murdered anybody specifically personally but what paul did was paul took in those individuals who believed in jesus and he would bring them in before the council and he would accuse them of being jesus followers and then they would take a vote and he would vote yes he would vote to find them guilty, and that whatever happened to them, he was responsible for it, and yes, some of them lost their life, and Paul had the memories of of hearing those screaming voices, maybe as, as he as he arrested a mom and dad and took them from their children and brought them in, and all the lives he had impacted, impacted and, he, and he had all the spiritual baggage from the past, he even had the spiritual baggage of the ministry Paul's writing this twenty five years after he got into the ministry. He's been hurt in the ministry. People have hurt him. And Paul says, I let it all go. I let all the shame and all the guilt and all the hurt and all everything, I let it all go. And we need to understand that this morning the fear, the anger, the hurt, the stress, the memory, the attitude, that behavior, the greed, the lust, the substance abuse, just that outright sin. And disobedience and the guilt and shame that follows, we need to let it all go. It is a heavy, heavy, heavy weight. You know how Jesus, you know how God knows it's a heavy weight? Because Jesus told him, because Jesus went to the cross and bore that weight, that sin, that shame on the cross. If Jesus didn't experience it in his 33 years of life, he experienced it when he went to the cross and died. It's a heavy weight, my personal story. About eight years ago, Shad is 16. And so we go, I, I take Shad to Michigan Adventure. Of course, Shad's autistic and, and he has his issues. And, but we go to Michigan Adventure. And we go around the park all day and ride the rides and the roller coasters. And Shad has a good time. But I come home at the end of the day and I was wiped out and I'm like, you know what? I don't think I like I don't think I like amusement parks anymore. I think I'm getting old. And then the next year, for some reason, I went back to the amusement park and I, I might have taken, I don't know if I, I went to Cedar Point with some youth. I don't know what it was. I was back at Michigan or back at Cedar Point the, the next year and I ran the rides all day and I came home at the end of the day and I'm like, wow, wow, that was great. That was fun. I felt like a kid again. And so I had an epiphany in that moment because I thought, why was last year so hard and this year so awesome? And then it dawned on me that the year before, I literally had carried Shad around the park all day. Not physically. He walked around on his own two feet. But every time we got on a ride, every time we got on a roller coaster, he would cling to me. I carried his emotional anguish. I carried his anticipation. I carried his stress. I, I... all of his emotions, I bore all of them as as he clung to me and every ride I carried him and by the end of the day, what a weight, and I was wiped out and it was exhausting. And the reality is, in your life, the emotions, the mental stress, the memories, the struggles, the burdens, they are a heavy, heavy, heavy weight. You need to let them go. I had another epiphany a few years back, one of those seasons of life, just having a struggle, a personal issue, and going to God and saying, Lord, will you just take this from me? You know how it is. Sometimes you face adversity. You face an emotion, a behavior, a temptation, a sin, and you ask God, will you just take this from me? Lord, please take this fear from me. Take this anger from me. Take this hate from me. Take this envy from me. Take this lust from me. Take these doubts from me. Take these thoughts from me. Take this addiction from me. Take this memory and this hurt from me. And yet God just seems silent. And you're like, God, where are you? Won't you you just take this from me? And I remember kind of... Sensing what God was saying to me in that moment, kind of an epiphany. The reality check there on the screen. God won't take from us what we won't give to him. And I think we come to God lots of times and say, God, will you take this from me? And yet we cling to it and we hold on to it and we can't let go of it because we're so used to it defining us. Like letting go of our pride and it's so hard to let go of our pride. And yet, God, will you take this from me? But God won't take from us what we won't give to Him. And so then I'm thinking, wow, that's awesome. What a great thing. And so it's like a Tuesday morning. And and a Tuesday morning, you got the stressful thing and you come to God and you say, Lord, I got the stress. Will you take it from me here? And we give it to God. And we walk away and it's like, wow, that was easy. I feel great. Woo. Until... Tuesday afternoon, seven hours later, when you feel all that stress and anguish come back and you're like, wait, time out, Lord. You said if I gave it to you, you would take it and, and I gave it to you and now it's all back and how's that work? What's the deal? And there is a secret to this. It's found in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 30. Remember these words by Jesus, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, it is not simply that I give God that issue, that emotion, that behavior one time and I'm done. It is that every time... That issue arises, I have to keep giving it to God and taking up His rest. Giving it to God and taking up His rest. We have to keep giving it to Him repeatedly. Truth is, you may have to give a hurt or a fear or a memory to God a hundred times. Maybe for year after year after year before one day that issue or that emotion or that behavior doesn't return. It's not giving God something once and finding victory. It's claiming victory as you repeatedly give God that struggle moment after moment and day after day. And there's a great example of this the night that Jesus was arrested. He takes Peter and James and John. Remember, he goes to the garden and he prays. And he prays, Lord, I don't want to go to the cross. Is there any other way? Lord, if there's any other way, please, Lord, this burden is too great. But your will be done. And he left and he went back and he found Peter, James, and John and they're sleeping and he's like, come on guys, I need you to pray with me, support me, can't you pray with me? And Jesus goes back and prays again, Lord, oh Lord, this is a heavy burden, I don't want to go to the cross, please don't, if there's any other way, please Lord, but your will be done. And he comes back a second time and they're sleeping again and he says, come on guys, wake up, pray with me. He goes back a third time and repeats the whole process a third time and he comes back. You know what's going on there? See, Jesus didn't just come over here and say, Lord, I don't want to go to the cross. Here's this this burden I got. You take it. um, Your will be done and leave. And it was over. He went back a second time and prayed. He went back a third time and prayed in great anguish, prayed. If he had had to go back a fourth time, he would have gone back a fourth time. But eventually, he gave it to God and he said, okay, I'm strong, I'm ready, let's go do this. Let's go face the cross. It's my mission, it's why I was sent to earth. That's the reality. You know, one other thing, we think about sin and shame, the the heaviest burdens that we carry are our sins and shames, they are. A lot of things weigh us down, but I think sin and shame is the heaviest burdens we can carry. The sins done to us, the shame that sin brings, the sin we do ourselves, and the shame it brings. And you think about how God responds to sin and shame. How does God feel about sin? Well, God hates sin. He went to the cross and died for it, right? We know He hates sin. How does God feel about shame? And could you think of one word today to to describe how God feels about shame? you might think about that and come up with some different words but actually our key verse gives us a word here's what it says looking to looking unto jesus the author and finisher of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame god despises the shame that we carry around he hates sin but he hates the shame that sin brings i think equally and the shame that we bring that weighs us down and keeps us from running the race successfully and from Christ being formed in us more fully, he despises that shame. Frederick Bucher put it so well, romantic love is blind to everything except what is lovable and lovely. But Christ's love sees us with a terrible clarity and sees us whole. Christ's love so wishes our joy that it is ruthless against everything in us that diminishes our joy. The worst sentence love can pass is that we behold the suffering which love has endured for our sake that is also our acquittal. The justice and mercy of the judge are ultimately one. We're going to look at two areas next week, but let me just kind of wrap things up this morning by reminding us, okay, what did we learn today? We learned that Jesus gives us needed clarity to run the race and live the life of Christ, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Jesus brings clarity to living out our identity, and then we saw that we learned that who we are is being formed in us. And then Jesus brings clarity to the burdens that we carry, that God won't take from us what we won't give to him. And we need to repeatedly keep giving to Him our baggage, our burdens, our emotions, our fears, our failures, our sin, and our shame. And there's great joy when we let go. And I would just ask you this morning do you need to find a trusted counselor and, and unpack some baggage? Is there some baggage you need to unpack and let go of? It's not a, it's not. An unbiblical concept, Proverbs 27, 9, oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. And Proverbs 12, 5, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. You're a fool if you can't hear anybody else speak into your life and give you advice. Find those people that will help you unpack your baggage and let go here are three questions this morning and then a closing observation but application and transformation here have I let go of my pride and said yes to the gospel have I let go of my self-righteousness to trust in the righteousness of Christ that's the question and there should not be a person here this morning that walks out these doors and leaves this morning and takes their pride with them and says I can't let go of my pride it's got me so far come on I mean, let's be real. We know our pride has not brought us anything but grief and anguish, isolation, destructed, destroyed relationships. So this morning, please, and I'm praying for each one of us this morning, that we will not walk out these doors with our pride intact and not trusting in Christ. And you don't have to stand up. You don't have to, all you have to do in your heart of hearts this morning is say, I believe and I receive. I'm letting go of my pride so I can trust in the work of Christ. I don't want to be defined by my disobedience. I want to be defined by Christ's obedience. I don't want to be defined by my behavior. I want to be, be, be defined by Christ's behavior. And I'm putting my faith and trust today in Christ. And then, what did I learn this morning about my identity in Christ and how Christ is being formed in me that really spoke to me? And then thirdly, have I identified anything I need to let go of and and how Christ can be formed in me more fully in that space? You know, the cross really is the antithesis of our pride. You know, the cross exposes our pride. The cross looks at us and says, you know, you're not good enough, right? You know, you need the righteousness that is only found in Christ. In fact, Jesus didn't have pride, did he? He had had humility and it was that humility, the humility of Christ, the Bible says, that enabled him to embrace the cross and then God comes along and God invites us. Come to the cross. Come to the cross. And yet when we come to the cross, we have to let everything go. The emotions that drive us, the experiences that paralyze us, the attitudes that control us, the behaviors that define us, the sin that shames us, the pride that rules us at the cross. We have to let it all go. We have to let everything go. And yet here is the the thing we learn from Jesus in a moment of true beauty and even greater clarity. Hear the scripture one more time. Hebrews 12:1. let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Do do you see it? Did you hear it? Can you anticipate it? It's when we come to the cross and we let go of everything that is holding us back, it is then and there we find that there is joy on the other side of the cross. There's joy on the other side of that decision. There's joy on the other side of letting go. There's joy on the other side of that counsel. There's joy on the other side of our pride. There is joy on the other side of the cross. The joy we've been looking for all along. Oh, I hope you found the joy, the joy today in letting go, and I hope you see the clarity that you're only gonna find in Jesus.